Well, many of you have seen the Mission Impossible movies. They uh, have Ethan Hunt, who is given some particular mission to accomplish. Well, one of the challenges of our day is that many times people don't really have a sense of direction. There's not like some compelling mission or purpose that, that, that folks are living for. In fact, data from the Center for Disease Control suggests that the suicide rate in our country has risen 33% in the last 20 years. And suicide is the second leading cause of death among 18 to 35-year-olds in our country. Why? Why have we lost hope? Well, I was speaking a while back with an administrator at the school, and we were talking about how suicide had, had reached and, and touched our own community and how our own young people had been affected by it. And this is what she said to me. She said, I see students all of the time who feel like their lives are meaningless, who feel like their lives have no purpose. And she said, we need to help them understand that, that God has a purpose for them, that God has a, a, a mission for them to accomplish. And so this morning, I want us to think together, what is our mission? What is our purpose? We'll think about these questions together as we look in Colossians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, I'd invite you to take a pew Bible and follow along with us. You can uh, find this passage on page 1045. And we've been journeying through the book of Colossians. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul and, and written to the church at Colossae to encourage that church to be a faithful church. This morning, we are on our final stop in this journey, and we're going to see that Paul has a mission for the Colossians. Paul has a mission for the Colossians. Let's look in Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Our big idea this morning Depending on God and each other, we live on mission. Depending on God and each other, we live on mission. As we look at this passage, I hope that you'll be encouraged to depend on God. I hope you'll be encouraged to depend on your brothers and sisters in Christ as you live out the mission that God has given you. We're going to look at three keys to living out this mission. First, we'll, we'll consider prayer. Second, we'll talk about living with the mission in mind. And third, we'll talk about serving together. Let's jump in. First, we live on mission as we pray all the time. As we pray all the time, look in verse 2, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Of the hundreds of things that you could do, make sure prayer is a priority. Paul says to the Colossians, this must be true in your life. You must be people of prayer. What's prayer? Prayer is talking to God. It's, it's sharing with God the burdens of our heart. It's bringing to God the, the things that weigh us down. It's not only that. It's spending time praising Him for who He is. It's spending time in thanksgiving, which we'll talk about more in a moment. It's spending time praying for others who have needs. It's praying for, for God to move in our own lives. Prayer is that opportunity to connect with God 
to share with him the burdens that we face. And so Paul says, make sure that you pray, that you are devoted to prayer. If you're going to be on mission, the mission that God has given you, you must be people of prayer. And he says that our prayers should be characterized by alertness and by thankfulness. Now, why does he say alertness? That's kind of an odd way to describe prayer. I believe this is the reason. Because in our spiritual lives, we never just drift into to, to growth. We never just drift into loving Jesus more and growing in him. No, it's kind of like this. If you go fishing and you use a float or a bobber and you can cast it just the right spot, but often because of wind, that, that float will begin to drift and it'll drift somewhere you don't really want it to go. And that's what happens in our lives spiritually. If we, if we aren't careful, we, we, we're where we want to be. We're growing, we're moving forward. We're, we're going close, growing closer and closer to Jesus. But then we get busy and we get distracted. Maybe we begin to kind of give in to sin a little bit and we just begin to kind of drift. And so Paul says, you need to pray with alertness. You need to be intentional in your prayer that you might not drift, that you might not fall prey to the devil. Now, you may think, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane because he said something similar. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to to his disciples, now remember, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he is crying out to God. God is giving him strength for what he's about to face. But he says to his disciples in Matthew 26, 41, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What did Jesus tell his disciples? That when we begin to to pray sleepily, if you will, that the possibility of our being opened up to attacks from the devil are much greater. This is true at an individual level. If you aren't intentional and going forward in your relationship with Christ, Satan is going to prey on you. You're going to be like roadkill on the side of the road. He'll be after you. This is true as a church. If we aren't a praying church, the door is open for Satan to to, to attack and to to ravage us. How does Satan attack? Well, he attacks through division. He attacks through false teaching. He attacks through apathy and complacency. In fact, in the American church, this is the most common attack, I believe. We begin to just sort of take our walk with Christ for granted. And Satan just kind of lets everything be fine. Just sort of drift along. And we're lulled off to sleep. And spiritually, instead of there being any kind of fervor and life, we're we're sound asleep. We're, We're not moving forward. And so if we aren't committed to diligent prayer, the door is open for the devil to work in our lives, to pull us away. And so Paul says, stay alert in your prayers, but don't just stay alert. Pray with thanksgiving. Now, why would Paul highlight thanksgiving? Well, this is the reason I believe, because in a battle, in a mission, we're going to face a lot of obstacles, a lot of difficulties, a lot of heartaches. In this life, on this side of heaven, we just live in a broken world. That's the reality of it. Things don't go like we hoped they would so often. Our hearts are broken by the circumstances that we see, that we experience. So why does Paul say pray with thanksgiving? Because he wants to remind us that in the midst of this broken world, God has been good. And there's much good that we should focus on. And so he says, focus on the goodness of God. Yes, in all of our lives, there are things that that break our hearts. But God says here, 
spend good time focusing on the things that are good. Because, friend, if you look around, God has been very good to all of us. There, there are dozens and dozens of things that we can offer thanks for. And so Paul says, pray with thanksgiving. Keep your focus on the goodness of God. How else do we make it through a difficult mission without losing heart? How else do we face the challenges and the heartaches of life without giving up? So pray with alertness and, and pray with thanksgiving. In verse 3, Paul says, remember and to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Now, look at how Paul says it. He says, pray for doors to open. Now, remember that Paul is in prison when he writes this. So it wouldn't surprise us at all if Paul said to the Colossian church, pray that God would open the prison door. But that's not what Paul prays. Paul prays that doors would be opened to speak the word of Christ. In fact, Paul calls it the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? It's that God in his appointed time sent his son to this earth. And he lived a perfect life. He was brutally nailed to the cross. And at the cross, he took the punishment for the, the sin that we've done upon himself. Now, why should Jesus be punished? Why should there be punishment for sin? Because God is completely pure. In God, there is no sin and he can't accept any kind of sin. To do so would be to compromise his very nature. So Jesus took God's wrath towards sin upon himself and he made a way for people like you and me, people who are sinners, people who have dirty hearts to be saved, to be reconciled to God. How amazing is that? That's the mystery of Christ. Paul says, pray that we'll have opportunities to share that wonderful news that sinners can be transformed and changed by the power of God, that sinners can have a relationship with God Almighty. Oh, what incredible news. So Paul says, pray that God opens the door for gospel conversation, for preaching the gospel. Think about those things in your life that are ingrained. Every morning you get up, many of you, and you get a cup of coffee. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to think, oh, do I want to drink? No, you do it automatically. It's what you've done for years, for day, day after day. You get up, you pour yourself a cup of coffee. Others of you may come home from work and you take a quick nap or others have to be chewing gum all the time. You got to have a piece of chewing gum. There are things that are just ingrained in us. It's who we are. And Paul says that prayer needs to be like that. It needs to be ingrained in our lives. It needs to be who we are. We need to be people who are always praying, who are always talking to God all throughout the day. We ought to be, we ought to be bringing our needs to God. We ought to be offering praise to him. We ought to be crying out for wisdom and strength and help. We should, be, we should be going to him, not praying in a meaningless way, but praying in a deeply meaningful way, connecting with, with the God who loves us, with the God who sent his own son for us. Now, how do we live this out? Well, we need to set aside a regular time to pray. Now, we ought to be praying all throughout the day, but, but the place where many of us drop the ball is that we don't set aside a regular time to meet with God. We, we must do that. Devote yourselves to prayer. That's what Paul says. How are we going to be successful in our mission without the strength that God gives? So, so we've got to pray. What do we do? Well, we, we take a block of time and we say to God, I'm going to give you this time. I'm going to meet with you. And the good thing is, God is always willing. When, when we say to him, I want to meet with you, he's always there. He doesn't, he's not double booked or anything like that. He, he's going to meet with you. So, why don't you 
Think about your own life. Where could you work in some good time to pray and read God's word? Maybe it'll be early in the morning before the craziness of the day. You'll get up a little earlier. Or maybe it'll be at lunch. You've got an opportunity to to take a lunch break. You, You eat a quick meal and you spend some time in the word and in prayer. Or maybe it'll be at night when everyone else in the house has gone to bed. And it's quiet and peaceful, and you'll meet with God. I don't know when the best time for you is, but I want to encourage you this morning as we sit here to ask, when can I set aside daily time to be in the Word? And then, brothers and sisters, I want to urge you to do that. Meet with God daily for prayer. And what does prayer say to God? It says to God, I can't handle this on my own. I need you. Prayer is a way to express humility and dependence upon God. When we pray, we should be thankful. Be thankful. Focus on the good things that God has given you. Make a list of things that you're grateful for and pray through those. I I knew a lady who, who wrote the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down. And she came up with something to, to be thankful for, for each letter of the alphabet. And that's one way to do it. Think through, how can I focus on the good things that God has given us? A grateful heart, a, a heart that says to God, I thank you for who you are. Well, that's a heart that, that strengthened and can live on mission. We must focus on the goodness of God, his kindness. Also pray for the advance of the gospel. I want to encourage you to, to pray for, for people in your life who don't know Jesus. Pray for them by, by name, day by day, and pray that you'll have opportunities to, to share the gospel. And, and pray for, for me and others in leadership of the church that we'll faithfully preach the gospel. Pray for this church that we'll be a light in this community and ultimately around the world. Pray for missionaries. In other words, if we're going to see the mission advance, we must be praying. We must be calling out to God. And then prayer reminds us that we're not in this mission alone. When I pray to God, it reminds me that I don't have to, to go out there on the battlefield by myself. He's right with me. He said something about that in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, didn't he? So we live on mission first by depending on God through prayer. Second, we live on mission by keeping the mission in mind. Keeping the mission in mind. Look in verse five. Paul says, act wisely toward outsiders. Well, who are outsiders? He's talking about people who don't know Jesus, who are not a part of, he's writing to the church because he's talking about the people who are not a part of the church. These, these folks who, who don't know the Lord, act wisely toward them. What does this mean? It means that we want to live lives that build bridges to the gospel instead of barriers. We want to live the kind of life that helps people see who Jesus is, not live the kind of life that makes people go, I don't know what that is. I don't know if I want it or not. In other words, live lives of character. We need to be people of our word. We need to be people who who are known for for living blameless lives. Not a person who is in church on Sunday morning with, you know, the makeup on and the mask on and then out Friday night living it up. Not that kind of double living. Not immorality. Or the kind of guy who, who, or or, or lady who's a a businessman or businesswoman who comes to church and is all smiles and then during the week is wheeling and dealing and honesty or doing what's right doesn't play into it. It's, it's, hey, whatever helps me get ahead. Not that. None of that. Paul says, live a consistent life. You see, when people who don't know Jesus, look at those of us who claim to know Jesus and two plus two seems to equal seven. They say, you know what? That doesn't look real to me. I'm not interested. 
But when we live out the truth of the gospel and we strive to walk blamelessly, not perfectly, none of us will ever do that, but we strive to live a life that honors Christ, then two plus two begins to equal four and people go, there's something there. There's something real there. How else do we live uh, a life that honors Christ? Well, it is through selfless service. Think about Christ. What did he do? He laid his life down. He sacrificed himself. So how do you want to act wisely toward outsiders? Live with integrity and live selflessly. Put others ahead. Make, Make your life about blessing and helping and encouraging others. And then people begin to go, there's something there because that's not normal. That's not the way most people live. Most people live for themselves. But this lady, she's living for other people. She's more concerned about others. This fella, he shows a, a real concern for people. What is it? And they begin to see, oh, two plus two equals four. There's something here. There's something real about this. It has the ring of truth. You see, your life will be a bridge or a barrier to Christ among the lost. It will be a bridge or a barrier. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may our lives be bridges to the gospel. Paul says, act wisely, making the most of the time. What Paul says here is that God's gonna give us opportunities to to share the gospel with people who are lost and we need to take advantage of those. It reminds me of this. When I was a boy, my mom on occasion would, would go shopping at Kmart. For those of you who don't know, what Kmart is, they're too young to know what Kmart is. It's like a Walmart, sort of. A little different, but it's sort of like a Walmart. And, and in Kmart, they would have something called blue light specials. And blue light specials, I think, this is to the best of my memory, they would deeply discount a specific item, like Oreo cookies for 59 cents. And anybody could get Oreo cookies for 59 cents until they ran out. And so they would announce this blue light special and all these people crazily would run to the blue light and grab up, snatch up those Oreos. And Paul is saying to you and to me, there's opportunities to share the gospel all around you. Grab them, snatch them up. Don't let them pass you by. The time is running out. Make the most of the time that you've been given. And then he says, let your speech always be gracious. In other words, use words that are kind. We don't want to speak to to people who don't know Jesus condescendingly. Speak in a way that, that encourages them and lifts them up. And then he says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Now that's kind of an odd statement, isn't it? What he's saying is this, don't go into boring long monologues or lectures to your your lost friend about how how their lives are wrong and how they need to straighten up or about how good you are and how much, none of that kind of arrogant silliness. Paul says, use speech that's gracious and that is seasoned with salt. In other words, you want to speak in such a way that you make them want to know more about Jesus, that you awaken a desire in them. How do you do that? One of the best ways is through questions. You, you want to use questions. You want to say uh, things like this. Hey, when life is wearing you out, what is it that gives you strength? What is it that helps you keep going? Or, or a question like this, what is it in your life that really gives you meaning? And, and you, you have that dialogue with your friend and then you say to them, let me tell you where I find strength when life gets tough. Can I share with you what really gives my life meaning? And you have a a conversation. So we need to recognize that as we live on mission, we must be careful with our words. We must be careful with our lives. And then Paul says, make sure that you know how to answer each person. This means that when people have questions and non-Christians are going to have questions. Well, what about this? What about that? 
Paul says those are fair questions. Don't rebuke them for asking those questions. Those are real issues. Work through the questions with people. Walk alongside them as they ask questions about the Christian faith. You know what this means? Those of us who call on the name of Christ, we need to learn the word of God. We need to have a firm grasp of Christian truth so that we're able to walk with folks through their questions. It doesn't mean that we'll know every answer. We won't. There'll be times that we say to folks, hey, let me, let me do some research. Let me look into that. And, and then we, and then we uh, do that research and we get back with them. But Paul says, you got to be ready to give them an answer. First, uh, Peter said something similar in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, regard the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. So Peter and Paul both call us to be ready to make a defense for the gospel, to give people answers. In the Mission Impossible movies, Ethan Hunt is invited to take part in a mission. And this invitation concludes with these words, this is your mission, should you choose to accept it. And then from that moment, once he engages the mission, almost everything he does in the entire movie is geared toward successfully accomplishing the task that he's been given. Now, brothers and sisters, those of us who know Jesus, that's a picture of what our life should be. We should be focused and committed on the mission that God has given us. The way that we speak, the way that we talk, the way that we use our time, we ought to be focused on Yes, engulfed by the mission. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute, pastor. My life is so busy, I can't add another thing. And friend, I believe you. Our lives are crazy busy now. We we live in a a world that's so hurried and fast-paced. But here, God's not asking you to add a bunch of extra activity in your life. Brothers and sisters, this is what he's asking you to do. He's asking you to live faithfully as you go about life. As you go to work, don't just go to work. Go to work recognizing that God has a mission for you. The people that you come in contact with. Perhaps there'll be opportunities there to to connect and share the gospel and, and love on folks. Be an encouragement to people. People you go to school with. The the folks you see as you go to the doctor's office, you name it, whatever it is that, that you do live on mission in those times. We're not talking about adding a bunch of extra activity. We're talking about being faithful, living the life that you live day to day, living purposely in that time. So let's think about living with the mission in mind. Remember that your life needs to reveal whose you are. Your life needs to reveal whose you you are. That means that you need to live with integrity and that you need to live a life of sacrifice. And when people see that in you, they're going to be drawn to Jesus. Not only does your life need to to reveal whose you are, but your words need to reveal whose you are. If your words are filled with critical, you're always critical of other people. Every time you you open your mouth, you're talking about how sorry so-and-so is and how this person's no good and that person's no good. And then you talk about, hey, I go to First Baptist Church. Please don't say that, okay? If, if that's you, don't tell them first, but tell them, well, anyways. Um, <laughs> don't tell them you go to First Baptist, please. Actually, what I really want to encourage you to do is to let the Lord Jesus change your speech. If your speech isn't gracious, why does anybody want to listen to you when you tell them about Jesus? 
Let your speech be gracious. You don't want to be critical. You want to be gossiping about people all the time. You want to be using, you know, you don't want to be cussing here. Let me, let me cuss and tell you this or that. And then let me tell you about Jesus. It amuses me sometimes. I know I have blind spots too. And, um, uh, weaknesses too, but, but sometimes it's maybe amuse is not the right word. Probably not. But on occasion you'll see a Facebook feed and somebody will put some joke that's filled with, you know, like some profanity and, and it's supposed to be funny. And then the next post will be some inspirational quote about Jesus. And I never understand that. You see, when we talk out of both sides of our mouth, people are not drawn to Jesus. They're just not. You see, when two plus two equals seven, who's listening? Who's listening to that? So your words, let them be gracious. Your words must match your witness. That's the reality of it. Your words must match your witness. So, so think through, how are you living? How are you speaking? Next, dig deeper into Christian truth so that you have answers. Dig deeper into Christian truth so that you have answers. This means that every day you need to spending, be spending some good time in the Word. I don't mean like 10 seconds. I mean like you need to really dig into the Word for a few minutes. Now, I'm not meaning an hour, but take five or 10 minutes and read God's Word. Have a systematic plan where you read through the New Testament, where you read through a specific book. Don't just open the Bible and read here and then there and then there. No, have a plan where you're actually learning the word and digesting the word of God. How else can you learn God's word? Well, one of the the ways that you learn God's word is through being in church where, where the word is taught. It's important. In fact, the New Testament vision of a Christian is a person who meets regularly, weekly with brothers and sisters for worship where the word is taught. Now in our lives today, and this is a place where Christianity does call for some sacrifice of time. In our lives today, there are a thousand things that we can do. Actually, a lot more than that. But the Bible expects people who know Jesus will gather together weekly to be with other believers around the word. So I ask you, are you building that weekly time of being with brothers and sisters around the word into your, the, the rhythm of your, of your life? If it's something that you work in every now and then, Brothers and sisters, that's not the New Testament vision of a Christian. No, you need to be in in the fellowship, gathered together around the word regularly. How else are we going to learn the truth if we don't gather together and study it? We need to be in Bible studies together, discussing the word, sharing the, the word together. These are ways that we grow. Of course, we need to do our own independent study as well. Get some good books. You got to be careful because there's a lot of, a lot of stuff out there that's, that's not faithful. But get some good books and study. Listen to some other, uh, listen to some, some faithful guys and, 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 and such through podcasts. Make sure that you're getting the good stuff because there's a lot of stuff out there that isn't. But, but we need to be digging deeper into Christian truth. And this will cost us some time. And yet it's a sacrifice that God calls us to make if we know him. We must give up this time. So we live on mission first by depending on God through prayer. Second, we live on mission by keeping the mission in mind. And third, we live on mission by serving together, by serving together. We're not gonna take the time to read verses seven through 18, but this is Paul's conclusion to the book of Colossians. And he's making a lot of greetings. He's, he's greeting folks and making some comments about folks. And what you see here is this, Paul has deep relationships in the mission that he's been given. He's not going it alone. He has deep relationships, people who are, who are with him and beside him. Let me highlight a couple. 
in verse 8, he says that he sent Tychicus to Colossians to encourage their hearts. So what happens when we meet together? One of the the goals is that we encourage each other. We want to be in this together. Paul also says in verse 11 that his co-workers have been a comfort to him. They've been a comfort to him. You see, in this life, we'll take a lot of difficult blows and some of them will bring us absolutely so low. You know, many of you have experienced those. Some of you haven't yet, but you will. And we cannot endure those by ourselves. God does not intend for us to. God wants people to be by our side, brothers and sisters, who will comfort us, who will strengthen us and lift us up in those moments when we've taken a punch in the gut. That's God's plan, that that we would comfort each other, that we would help each other. That's one of the primary ways that he ministers to us is through each other. Then in verse 12, Paul speaks of Epaphras wrestling in prayer for the Colossians. In other words, he was crying out to God on their behalf. And brothers and sisters, I hope you have people wrestling in prayer for you. It's one of the reasons we've been called into a faith family so we can wrestle in prayer for each other as a church As your pastor, I strive to pray through the list of members on a regular basis. And as I know you're facing difficulties, I strive to pray for you and and to wrestle in prayer for you. I hope you wrestle in prayer for me. I I need that. We need that from each other. And Paul goes on uh, to, to address Archippus. And he says to Archippus in verse 17, pay attention to the ministry that God's given you and fulfill it. So sometimes we, as we serve together, we're kind of giving each other a nudge, a little, a little shove, a little push in a gentle and loving way. That's what Paul does here. You see, ministry, mission is meant to occur in the context of relationships. What illustrates that idea of needing others better than war or battle? Consider Captain Charlie Plum. He graduated from the Naval Academy in Annapolis, flew 74 missions into Vietnam. On his 75th mission, Captain Plum was hit by enemy fire. He parachuted, landed in enemy territory, was taken captive, was tortured, was imprisoned for nearly six years. Well, years later, he found himself eating at a restaurant in Kansas City, and he noticed a few tables away that a fellow kept looking at him. He looked at the man and he had no idea who that man was. And so the man eventually came over to to the captain's table and he said to to him, you're Captain Charlie Plum. And the captain said, yes, I am. And the guy said, you flew uh, combat missions into Vietnam off of the air carrier, the Kitty Hawk. And he said, you were shot down and taken as a prisoner of war. And the captain said, yes, those things are true, but how do you know those things about me? And the gentleman said to him, well, Captain Plum, I packed your parachute. I was the one who who packed your parachute the day that you were shot down. And the captain spoke up and he said, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed with thanksgiving for the man whose nimble fingers uh, packed my parachute. I never imagined that I'd have the opportunity to thank you in person. You see in the mission that God has given us, we need pilots and we need parachute packers too. We need to be together. We cannot do this mission by ourselves. We have a natural tendency to want to fly solo. I I feel that too. 
But it's not God's plan for us. He wants us to go at it together, to be beside each other. Are you trying to fly solo in the Christian life? Are you trying to answer God's call, but kind of going at it on your own by yourself? Friend, that's not God's plan. It's not his plan. So so how can you make better connections? How can you kind of get some fellas? How can you get some brothers to walk alongside you? Ladies, how can you get some some ladies who will be in the trenches with you? Well, one of, the, one of the ways is to get more involved in a, in a Bible study or a Sunday school class where you actually get to know people. In a context like this, we, we don't really get a lot of chance to, to connect in terms of deeper relationships. But then in a Sunday school class, you don't just meet on Sunday morning. You actually get together on occasion during the week. Maybe, maybe the guys meet for a cup of coffee early and some, some prayer time every now and then. Maybe the ladies get together here and there. But you but you form deeper relationships. Now, I want to say in our church, I think this is a weakness. I don't think there are exceptions. There are some, some places where, where this is strong. But overall, I think this is an area where we need to, to grow. We need to do a better job of connecting together. And, and we need to make sure that every fellow who's here is not walking through battles alone. And every lady who's here is not walking by herself. That's what God meant for a church to be. So serve together in the mission. We began this morning by talking about suicide. Suicide has been called death by despair. So many people are in despair. So many people have lost heart. Many people in our our community, people that, that we rub shoulders with on a daily basis, many of them hurting, But if you know Jesus, this is where you come in. This is where you come in. You have a message of hope, a message of life. Will you be faithful? This is the mission that God has given you. Will you accept it? It's to take the good news of the gospel, the hope of knowing Jesus to people who are lost and hurting, people who have lost heart. It's to love them and walk alongside them. It's to to try to work through their questions with them. It's to help them discover that there is a hope that is eternal. A hope that never ends. Oh, brothers and sisters, will you live out the mission that God has given you? This is who this church has been. Historically, this church has been committed to getting the gospel to people. In fact, this church is one of the most generous churches in this entire state in giving toward missions. You have a long history of commitment to to spreading Jesus. And today, I believe that's who you are that you want to see the love of Christ minister and touch hearts of people in this community. I know God can use you in amazing ways here. And when you minister to people here, ultimately there'll be reverberations all around the world as God uses you uses your prayer, uses your loving on people, uses your commitment to share the gospel, to touch people's lives. So this morning, if you know Jesus, I want to leave you with this challenge. Who is that one person, that one person who needs some hope? Who who is that person? It's somebody likely that is already in your life. Somebody that you already interact with on a regular basis. Maybe it's a neighbor. 
who lives next door. Maybe it's a nurse that you see when you go to the doctor. Maybe it's a young man that you see sacking your groceries on a regular basis down at H-E-B. Maybe it's somebody who cuts your hair. I, I don't know who it is. Who is it for you? Who is it that you could share the gospel with, that you could be a friend to? Would you write that person's name down before we leave this morning? Would you ask God to, to, to give you the words, to give you the opportunity, and to give you the courage to share the gospel? Brothers and sisters, this is your mission, should you choose to accept it. And with God's help, and with brothers and sisters alongside you, it's a mission that is possible. It's a mission that's possible. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, I want to I plead with you. Please hear me this morning. God has you here for a reason. He wants you to turn to him in faith. To, to believe in him. You see, when you turn from your sin and you say to Jesus, I believe that you died and, and I want to follow you, the Bible says that God saves you and that he gives you eternal life. He gives you a hope that never dies. And not only that, he gives you a mission and a purpose here in life to help others discover his love. Let's pray.